Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil and TireRack.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek Podcast number 288. And with us in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters, we have our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos, our digital producer, Jessica Ray, and a special guest, a host from Your Drive, Dan Maffitt. Dan, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to get to a lot of stuff today. We've got vehicles to talk about, a lightning round, a viewer question, but we're going to start with Dan because Dan is new to the MotorWeek fold, and we've aired a couple of uh, the segments of your segments on your drive so far, and I must say, to very good reviews, which is great. But I really want to get into what you bring to our car care series. We've never had someone as a host before, or even a major contributor, who is into building show cars, car design, exterior modifications. We've covered it. But you're, that's you. That's what you do. So I, I kind of want to start with something that's really basic. You know, a lot of people that watch Motor Week, they've bought something old that they want to recondition. They've maybe found that so-called barn find, whatever, and they want to turn it into a show car, something they can take, even if it's just to weekend events like Cars and Coffees. Where do they start? How do they do it on a budget? If someone comes to you and say, I've got something I really want to show off, where do they start? Well, the first thing I always tell anyone that's interested in that process is find the most solid car you can start with. The biggest drain on any budget for a build is rust repair. I was going to ask you, so you're that's, really talking about rust. That is the The biggest. cancer of the automobile. Yeah, if you can get a car from out west, do it because we'll have spots of rust. We'll have spots of rust that are, you know, a whole quarter panel out here and we think it's not that bad out there if they have a dime of rust they think it's awful so yeah you know they don't they don't see the rust like we do because they don't use they don't, first of all they don't have the weather we have and they yeah, don't no use salt. corrosive uh, salt and all the rest of the stuff yeah the all of that and so any money you think you're going to save by getting something that's really bad shape you're going to waste it on metal hmm. because hmm. that that's there's very few people that can do rust repair to the quality of a show car right uh, there's a lot of guys that can Make it look good, lipstick yeah. on a pig, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know you need you need someone who's a craftsman to do that kind of work, and, and that's that's where you start. What next? What's the second? Uh, once you get um, the body where you want it and it's ready for you know paint and uh, primer and things like this, that's when you kind of know okay we have a direction we're gonna go plan out the build do a drawing do a rendering have a cohesive idea for everything from the inside to the outside because make lists make a list colors mm -hmm. wheels choices everything because everything down to you know the material of the seats the top mm -hmm. the colors all those are going to play with each other if you paint the car blue and then decide you want to do you know yellow interior it's going to look really weird so mm. <laughs> you want to make sure you have a whole idea when you start um, and it really depends on the caliber of show you're going to if you're doing a cars and coffee weekend show at a, you know a cruise night you don't have to be that particular, but if you're doing something like the Autorama, the Riddler Award, mm. you know, if you're not putting 1.2, 1.3 million into your car, you're not a contender. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not sure how many of our viewers uh, have got that kind of dough. But, 
Okay, so you've got a solid piece of machinery. You've, you, I assume that you know they've got someone that knows what they're doing about uh, paint, not getting an ex-Earl Scheib employee or something like that. And the interior, where, where do you suggest people go for the pieces, either trim on the outside or the interior, to make the car, to bring the car back to, to at least OEM level. Because, you know, if you've got something old, that's hard. You don't go to a dealer and get it, and you don't even go to a normal part, auto parts store. Right. And so there's, there's a lot of specialist companies out there that reproduce the most popular vehicles. They mm. reproduce every piece from inside, outside, trim. Um, we're, we just finished up a 66 Econoline Ford Falcon no, club wagon. Interesting, right? No one makes anything for it. Yeah. It was all a one-year thing that they did to try to compete with the Volkswagen bus for the mm -hmm. most windows. Mm -hmm. So they put 16 windows in it. And we're like, yeah, we won. And then the Volkswagen <laughs> came out the next year with their 23, and you know the van stopped. So no one makes any pieces for it. So anything you do has to be custom, hand-built, or refurbished from a junk car that you find. Yeah, that's big bucks. That's very big bucks. So the best thing is to find a company that specializes in reproducing those original parts. I know in, the, in our mid-Atlantic area, the the mecca is uh, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and all of the different uh, shows they do throughout the year. Uh, I've been going up there, I guess, for almost ever. And it's a great way place. Even if they don't have the part, you can usually find someone who's a vendor. That's, that's a big thing because... Yeah. The swap meets like that, right. you know, big shows that have huge swap meets like Carlisle or uh, Pomona. Like mm -hmm. guys show up with trucks and trailers full of just yeah. random parts they've pulled out of barns, out of junkyards. And you might find a bracket that you've been looking for for, you know, 10 years at, in some guy's junk pile there. <laughs> let's, let's go to and Let's use that as a starting point, though, to go to another route. Uh, one of the segments you've just done for us is on resto modding. Mm -hmm. Restro <clears throat> modding and kind of explain what that is and when someone comes to you and wants to do some resto modding where do you start there so resto modding is pretty much taking the best of today's technology and putting it in the best looking cars of all time which mm -hmm. are you know the 50 60 60s, 70s, 60s you know whatever you've got you know my my favorites are 70 plus 70 younger you know i like of course i like yeah. those cars what we call the used to call the heyday of uh, exact detroit i mean the the designers then had unlimited budgets and unlimited time to just do what they wanted and so. they made them look different every year every which year. was basically the way they marketed i mean right car, they didn't want you they wanted you to buy every yep. couple of years the new everything yeah um, so you take the classic car that someone's loved that's wanted that car since they were in high school when they saw someone else driving it, and then they get it and they don't like how it drives because it doesn't drive like their new BMW or their Gee, Audi. Big surprise here. So you take all the new suspension, the new electronics, the new um, fuel injection, everything, even the new engines, and put them into this old car. I mean, we did a uh, 69 Camaro with a brand new Corvette LS3 in mm. it. So. He was driving it on a road trip and started getting a code, went to a Chevy dealer. They plugged up, found out it was a, a fouled plug, and he was able to fix it and get back on the road. Well, actually, I give credit to that Chevy dealer for even basically letting him in the shop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, I, and I called the dealer. I was like, hey, look, 
have a customer coming. Ah, this okay. is what's going on. You smoothed away. There's a, a port underneath the dash on the left side. Right. Plug up to it. Just see what it says. And yeah. then luckily, it was something simple. It was just, you know, it fouled up one of the plugs. But When people come to you, do they start with the engine or do they work on the suspension and steering? Because to me, it, it's suspension and steering on the on older cars. Yeah, that really leaves you cold. And brakes. Yeah, usually it's a snowball effect. Usually it's it's safety. It's, yeah. you know, we we we're paramount on safety first. So if you have a guy that comes in that doesn't have brakes, but he wants a brand new supercharger on his engine, we're going to say no. <laughs> we always sell that as one package. We're only going to give you the supercharger if you get these brakes. Yeah, it's like we're, we're not adding a lot of go unless you got whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you, you need that. They're equally as important. And uh, so you, know, you always want to do safety checks, make sure that the suspension's held together well, make sure the brakes are solid before you do any kind of performance. Um, and we had one guy that came and had all this work done to his motor, wanted the brakes redone, but he didn't have seatbelts in the car. Mm. It was uh, it was a 72, 72 Ford, I think it was, and it yeah. had... Had a lap belt or nothing? Nothing. Not oh even not even mounts for seatbelts. They did uh. redid the whole interior and got rid of the seatbelts because he didn't like them. <laughs> okay. I was like, okay, well, you know, that's where we would start. Yeah. <laughs> we would like you to be safe inside the car. <laughs> that's really good to know, yeah. though. Yeah, well, I, was, I thought you were going right to fuel injection because that's, I mean, most people are like, I just wanted to start every morning. Yeah. I'm sick of dealing with the carburetor every day. Yeah, and that, that's a lot. A lot of guys come to us and say, you know, I want to just turn the key yeah. and go. Yeah. And so fuel injection is kind of like that first stop where you get a brand new setting unit, all new fuel lines, and then you have this, you know, system that looks like original carburetor, but it's kind of undercover. It's it's all electronic. Gee, no propping the uh, the flap open on the choke no. anymore with a screwdriver and trying to start it like like I used to have to no, do. No, not at all. <sighs> I still do that with my Chevelle because I have a whole fuel injection system for my Chevelle. It's just sitting there. You haven't done it yet. I haven't yeah, done yeah. It. Isn't that the way it always <laughs> is? You never do, you it's don't have time to one. do your own car. Yep. And technically, it's my wife's Chevelle, so she always makes me remember that. But <laughs> <laughs> I've got uh, one other thing I wanted to ask before, you about. Go Go ahead, please. I did have yes. an interesting, like, do you have a yeah. lot of people come to you for, like, EV stuff these days? So I've had a few people reach out to me about electronic vehicle conversions. That's mm -hmm. that's the next forefront mm -hmm. for resto mods. Um, there's a few companies that do it. Um, one of the companies that we're partnered with is called Revolt, and they make a full EV drop-in system. That's Lancaster? Yeah. Yeah, we did a story with them. Or, yeah, yeah, so they, they yep. drop mm -hmm. in. EV systems and all the cars. Batteries and the everything. Yeah. Everything. But the price point is, is really high still yeah. because the market isn't there yet. Right. So and the battery to all the batteries are yeah. the most expensive parts. Yeah. But I mean, you've got to redo everything yeah. under electron electrically. Yeah, yeah everything so. gets redone. So the twelve volt system that's in the car can stay. Right. Mm -hmm. Um granted it is a twelve volt system. Right. Um it can stay and everything else should piggybacks off it. But um, you know, a lot of the drive lines and stuff to get into that market are, you know, just sub 100 grand mm -hmm. for the drive line so um it's it prices people out very quick but i see the prices every month go down on batteries and mm -hmm. engines and things like this so it's uh are they younger buyers in other words are we always talk about any kind of uh uh, street rods any kind of classic cars where the age group has always been fairly old and not necessarily getting younger are you seeing any younger buyers coming in and asking for that kind of you know conversion so I, I see a kind of the gamut of hmm. age range um you know that's good to hear we, we see a good bit of younger generation wanting to have the classic look but the ev systems right it's still out of their price point right now 
but that's but they're we, interested. They're there. interested. Yeah, the yeah. interest is there. Um, the older clientele um, generally like their Tesla, <laughs> huh. like mm-hmm. like their you know, their EVs that they have, and they're a little tired of the fuel smell or you know the exhaust mm. note or huh. you know they wanted to have something that's kind of on the forefront of the engineering spectrum. So uh, that I think is more of a status thing. Than, than anything. Which is what the Tesla, probably when they bought the Tesla, that was Exactly. It you know, it's, it's kind of a flex. <laughs> uh, I wanted, There was one other thing that I personally want your opinion on, okay. and that is ceramic coatings. Okay. Uh, are they worth it? Are they as durable as people say? You know, I've lived through uh, dealers putting all kind of extra coatings on your cars over the years. Some were good, some were bad. Is a ceramic coating really a ceramic material, and is it that much better than what, say, you could get 20 years ago? So ceramic has come a really long way in a short time. Um, There's consumer ceramics, which you can get in spray bottles, you can put on your car, and it just gives a layer of film, essentially, over Mm. top of the—it's like a super wax. Okay. Um, Most of the consumer stuff you get that you can spray on your car after you wash it and wipe it down, that's going to last anywhere from— three to four months on the Well, that's the actually not bad. Yeah, and it's, it's if you treat it well. Right. You know, if, if it's in the elements and you don't wash it down regularly, it's not going to last as long. Then you have what they call, like, the extract. It's the potent actual oil that is the ceramic. That has to be installed by a professional because it has to be heated to a certain temperature. Hmm. And it's laid out evenly over the panel with a little tiny, tiny sponge that hmm. has the right set of membrane in it to push the fluid out. Hmm. Once that's heated up, it self-levels across your panel, and they have a version of that that is super potent that can last up to seven years, mm. and they have a, a intermediate version that's about three years. How do you tell if somebody knows what they're doing about putting ceramic coatings on? Because that's, to me, that's got to be, it has to become in the application. It's like any paint job. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a craft to mm-hmm. put that on. Um, I've seen dealerships put it on cars, and when you rinse the car off, you'll see the water bead off a panel, and then you'll see a swipe where there's no ceramic and it's uh. just sticking. So that person didn't follow the path and didn't right. stick it on right. Um, a car that has ceramic, if you spray water on it or even mud, you'll see it just go right off the panel. Hmm. Like it's on wet glass. Um, that's that's the really uh, only way to tell. When someone says they can do it and they put it on it, it can look convincing. And I know I don't usually ask fo- folks in your situation prices, but you see all kind of price ranges. When do you know you're paying, well, I should say, if, you, if someone says, how much does a good ceramic, should a good ceramic coating on an average car cost? Yeah. What would you tell? Well, it, Again, depending on the potency of the product right. and the skilled labor that mm-hmm. you're paying for. Um, if it's someone who's invested in the heat lamps and the booth to do just ceramic coating, you could expect to pay anywhere between fifteen hundred and three grand okay. for the exterior. So, if someone says three hundred bucks, that's not you're not that's getting. That's not the good stuff. That's not the good stuff. No, that's not the good stuff. Or they're using you as a guinea pig to learn it. Right. Well, so as long as you go into worse. that knowing it, <laughs> uh, it might be worth the three hundred bucks to see how it turns out. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Who wants to be a guinea pig? They have, they have incredible products. We did yeah. uh, my wife's brand new uh, 
Grand Cherokee L. Mm-hmm. We did ceramic interior and exterior. Interior. So he did all the seats. He did all the piano black that's impossible oh, to gosh. keep clean. Yeah. You really, you can do uh, pliable material. Mm-hmm. Huh, they have, they have ceramic based materials for everything now. Huh. So is that like uh, putting it on like piano black? Because we keep seeing so oh, much God, piano yeah. black and, and yeah. even some of our press cars come already scratched. Yes. Oh, yeah. So we so did hers the week we got it right. because I know piano black. <laughs> And it's awful. It's like, why are they putting it in cars? And it came back. It was gone for a while, and everyone was happy. No one asked yeah. for it, and they brought it back. I'd rather have a painted surface than piano black. Me but. too. Or, or something with some kind of a, a relief to it or something that yeah, adds some character instead of just, hey, let's put some fingerprints on that. And here's a giant door you have to touch to close. That's all piano black. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but we did that, and, I mean, it still smudges, it still marks, but it wipes off. Um, good. So it's it's good stuff. I, I know that's a, that's a big worry for a lot of people the, with the piano black because we have been seeing it in so many cars, like Kia, Hyundai. Everybody's love, everybody's it. been doing it. When it first came, it was great because yeah. it was something different. Until the first time you drove it, <laughs> and you realized this is going to be a nightmare. Yeah, and the that's very interesting. And the on other it. one, I guess, say the other a new uh, surface that I'm wondering how it's going to hold up is all these cars coming in with open pore wood. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, what are they doing there for durability? Because the whole idea of putting a finish over wood is so it'll last. Yeah. Uh, even yeah. finished wood in the cars from the 50s didn't last. No. Cracks. I mean, by 65, I mean, they were cracked and splitting. Right. It's all the heat. But how much of it? Like, I kind of look at it, and I'm like, that doesn't, it doesn't feel, doesn't look like real wood. Like, how much well, it of doesn't. it? Well, it doesn't. It looks like plastic. It looks like, it looks like a laminate flooring. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, like, is it, is it My hope is wood? that it's some kind of composite. Yeah, I would imagine it like it's it. mostly, yeah, especially on the they, cheaper stuff that, you know, yeah. uh, I, when you're yeah, talking like Bentleys and. They can say, they and, can't call it wood if it ain't wood. I guess. I mean, we've lived through fake wood, laminated wood, all sorts of stuff. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. I'm sure it's probably got so, yeah. enough enough wood in there that they can legally say it's wood. I know flooring <laughs> companies only have to have an X percent yeah. of wood in their material for it to be solid wood. Well, if you, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, most not, most wood floors are veneer mm-hmm. these days. So, And they may have wood fiber in them. Yeah. Anywho, thank you, Daniel. We're going to uh, ask you to contribute towards the rest of the show. We're actually going to start talking about a couple of vehicles that we've had relatively recently in here to test. And we're going to start with a vehicle that was talked about long before it got here, and that's the new Wagoneer L and Grand Wagoneer. And um, Jessica, why don't you take the lead on these big new SUVs, and um, did they live up to their hype? Uh, they absolutely did. You know, obviously, uh, it very odd for for a brand to launch a brand new vehicle and then um one year later put an entirely new powertrain in it right (laughs) um so but absolutely lived up to the hype um i really really liked the new three liter i6 or twin turbo it when i heard the jeep was going to do an i6 i said whoa you know this talk about throwback Mm-hmm. Uh, because that uh, an I six was the uh, was the standard bearer for Jeep forever and for the U S auto industry for that matter. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, um, was really really impressed with it. Uh, I spent a lot of my time actually in just the standard output version, which mm-hmm. uh, is four hundred and twenty horsepower and four hundred and sixty eight pound feet of torque. 
So, um, you know, uh, not a huge boost from the outgoing 5.7 liter. I think that was just a little bit under 400 horsepower. But just like in all ways, it felt like it performed better. It was quieter. It was just smoother. Um, Like, I I remember I was sitting in some construction traffic, and um, I, like, put down the window to kind of see what it what what I could hear at idle mm-hmm. and it was just quiet and in a in a vehicle like that they did focus I know Jeep specifically focused a lot on just all around just being very quiet due to the types of people who buy the extended wheelbase versions um you know people who are buying a wagoneer and a Wagoneer versus a Wagoneer L are almost kind of two different clientele. Mm-hmm. You know, Wagoneers, uh, people buying a Wagoneer are, are cross-shopping three rows in general. Right. Whereas folks who are buying the extended wheelbase, they they're need looking more at, space. They're looking at suburban, I mean, they're cross-shopping Suburbans or Escalade ESVs or whatever. Exactly. So what they were trying to do is just trying to figure out ways to 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 make it just a little bit better than the rest of the competition. Mm. And General Motors, I mean, has really um, been the leader in that segment for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but r- this really gives a- another excellent option to to buyers because... Um, uh, and they it, went in their history book to, to name it. Yes. Yeah, the Hurricane. I mean, it, it... I mean, that's a legendary name for Jeep. And this is also, I mean, we talked about this being a very big engine for Jeep specifically, but this is just a big engine for the entire Stellantis brand. It was what excited me was simply the fact this is no front wheel drive engine. Right. This means they're committed to doing rear drive vehicles and to come out with a new engine family when everyone's going, you know, supposedly going electric, the billions and billions of dollars that they are spending to bring Mm -hmm. that engine to fruition. That gives me hope that the market is least going to be have vehicles long way into the future for people that don't necessarily want EVs. Correct. Anyway. And I think that this is a really this vehicle specifically is a really good representation of sort of like Stellantis's um, position on electrification. They still believe that the internal combustion engine serves a purpose and I mean specifically this is a huge vehicle. Um, and vehicles of this size will be some of the last to be properly electrified in ways that normal consumers can drive on the daily. Um, and so for them, you know, uh, thinking of the, the two V8 powertrains, the 5.7 liter, the 6.4, those are engines are old. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been around since Forever. the early 2000s. So it was only a matter of time before, you know, emissions catches up to you. And so that's kind of an important thing also to talk about. But I should also mention that there's, there's, I mentioned there's a, a standard output version, and then of course we have the high output mm-hmm. version, which is aptly named the Hurricane 510, which it's got 510 horsepower um, and 500 pound-feet of torque. Uh, and then so the standard output version goes in the Wagoneer L, and then the uh, uh, high output version goes right. in the Grand Wagoneer L. Um, and then also they'll go in the non-extended wheelbase models, but the base Wagoneer still will have a, the, the, the V8 standard, and so will the Grand For a Wagoneer while. Obsidian. So that'll, yeah. so it, 
most of the new models for 2023 will have this new engine. They're, they, that engine's going to migrate into uh, all of their trucks, including probably some of their heavy-duty trucks. I mean, they've they've got a they've mapped out. A, yes. a long future for that and they're engine. and they're saying um, for the high output version on the highway you're looking at an additional two miles per gallon mm -hmm. um, and then for the standard output you're looking at an additional three miles per gallon that's huge right it seems like that's like just two miles oh, that's huge. Just three miles. so you're looking at like on I believe so for like the standard output version that's 24 miles per gallon on the highway which is very good for that class of vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, I, th you can probably, I don't, I should have looked up what the, what the like suburban gets or something, but I know you well, can achieve those typically numbers. Well, typically a combined, I mean, and I'm, I'm off the top of my head, you know, 18 to 20 is not, uh, is not unusual for those vehicles yeah. in daily use. So if you can actually prop that up by 20% or 40, 30%, that's a big deal. And this will have, like, there's an additional 12 inches of length compared to the standard wheelbase mm -hmm. model. Um, but this does have the most uh, storage space behind the third row out, mm -hmm. of, out of anything in that class. So this, there's, it seems like they just did everything right with it. It looks a little odd, I will say that. <laughs> the proportions are a little odd, but, uh, you know, they, they took the, the, I think, what did I say in my first drive? They, like, V8 power and mm -hmm. performance, and they put it in a, in a smaller package, and just a, yeah, I was, I was just very impressed. I, I, I can't believe it won't, won't be too long, Dan, before somebody comes in with you and, and says, can we put the yep. new hurricane? That was my first thought, put the hurricane just, in, like, a, T, or a CJ or something. Right. Yeah, I was just thinking that, that I want to hear that yep. uh, 510 <clears throat> with a straight pipe exhaust. Yeah. It's going to happen. Those turbos <laughs> would sound incredible. They would be. I mean, and, and it's what, you know, I think, and like I sort of mentioned before, that Stellantis is really, you know, they, they, they see a place for this, uh, for internal combustion engines. Mm -hmm. But it's also, when we talk about sustainability, um, you know, even in like the resto mod area, even just getting a little bit more fuel economy is, I think, a very good thing in yeah. the long term. Whatever we're looking at right now doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be what we're looking at in the future sure. as far as policy and all. So sure, they're sure. trying. Everybody's trying to play the play the odds. Yeah. Let's switch though to something at the other end of the scale, sort of at least size-wise. And um, one of the vehicles we've uh, had recent experience with it, I think, kind of blew us all away a little bit. The Hyundai Kona N, the first time that the uh, the performance brand N from Hyundai has been applied to uh, basically an SUV. It's really not, but it, let's say it is. Can we just a call it a crossover? Let's call it a tall hatchback. Make me yeah, happy. Okay, yeah. tall Greg. Hatch. Take it away. Yeah, it's Kona N. You said it. We're like literally going from the biggest yeah. vehicle. You the can think, we're talking a full-size extended right. version <laughs> yeah. down to something what is that can almost fit in its trunk. What is this? This is called technically a subcompact right. SUV a crossover, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then beyond that, they're like, well, let's just make it an N version and make it a hot hatch. That's not really a hot hatch. But it is. It is. It it is. is. If you look, you look back at, at the it, original hot, hot hatches, they were all square and yeah. upright like the original. Anyway, go it, ahead. It, yeah, you look at this thing it, and you don't think SUV. You think hot hatch. It sits mm -hmm. a little bit high, but you're like, okay, it's still a hot hatch. 
Um, yeah, it's a cocky little thing. Um, a lot of power coming from the two-liter turbo for uh, – 276, if you want to get down to the numbers, 276 horsepower, 289 pound-feet of torque. Uh, but actually, it can go up to 286 pound-feet because mm-hmm. of a little button called NGS, uh, which is known as uh, N-Grin Shift. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to look that one up when I got in the car. I'm like, what does NGS even stand for? I mean, I love a good like boost button right. on the wheel, and this one's like a nice side. It's kind of like the, um, the GV60, the... Um, What's Genesis is all electric one now? It's the six. I get the. They are really starting to confuse me with the numbers. <laughs> um, anyway, it's like essentially a, for a few seconds you get ten extra horsepower. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so like a little nitro uh, simulation. Yeah, there. and it makes sense in this car because yeah. it's so hyper. I mean, on yes. the street, it is even in its um, softest suspension setting. Um, it just likes to bounce around. Oh, I thought, base, it, I thought it was like old time Detroit uh, rough. Uh, uh, you know, when you used to see a performance pack put on something from Detroit, from Detroit, you knew you better have your teeth in right. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, a K car with a turbo. Yeah, a K car with a turbo. It, it was. This is not a car for a comfortable jaunt Mm-mm. to the grocery store or a nice Sunday drive. I mean, you have to drive this thing with some purpose, uh, or le- or at least you know just be used to punishment. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, like I said, even in its softest setting, um, it really bounces around on the road. And th- uh, that brings me to really the tunability of this thing from the driver's seat is just being able to sit there with, all right, I have an end driving mode, which already puts you into the stiffest suspension setting, uh, tightest steering, um, looser on the traction control. But you can program it. So, like, on the mm-hmm. track we were on, and we'll get to the track in a little bit, uh, we were at the Shenandoah circuit at uh, Summit Point Motorsports. And uh, it's a little bumpier than some of the other tracks. So actually, I would take it back down to the softest suspension setting um, and then keep the engine transmission in its sportiest setting. Um, and, that, and that seemed to work out. But just being able to do that all from the driver's seat, I mean, yeah. you're not getting out like and adjusting things manually. Like it's just, it, it's, and it, it's not necessarily unique in the auto industry right now, but it's just something that kind of hit me on this day when I was driving it, just to be able to say like, I can make this car what I want it to be. Uh, and also that it's like 35 grand, mm-hmm. which seems kind of ridiculous. Like the perform, if you're talking about performance, this is a bargain. I mean, for 35 grand, uh, it's a ton of fun on the on the track. And like I said, I, I don't want to sound like I'm beating it up for what it is because I I'm very happy to have like a high strung performance car. And when you treat it as such, you really get some 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 good fun out of it. Um, so yeah, I think it's a it's a bargain there. Um, get back to the, some of the numbers real quick. So eight speed dual clutch automatic transmission, paddle shifters, front wheel drive, which is the I don't love. It should be all wheel drive. Yeah, because the it torque it, steer it torque is steers like crazy. Oh my god, yeah. the torque steer is ridiculous. Um, also, I should note that actually they just recalled. Or this was part of a recall. Uh, the transmission, so it actually has some issue with the uh, high pressure transmission uh, um, oil pump. And uh, just if you have one, think about it. Be uh, don't don't throw could, that piece of if, paper away. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I just had to get that out there. Um, and my final note on numbers before I get to my track impressions is the brakes, which I actually looked up, are two inches bigger. The front rotors are two inches bigger than the end line, which is a step below mm. the end. Again, we're getting into confusing mm. marketing mm. terms here. So you can get a Hyundai Kona end line. 
Don't confuse that with what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's, that's the, Hyundai that's the Kona poser, N. basically. Correct. So two inches bigger up front. And actually, the rear brakes on this N are bigger than the front brakes on the N line. Mm. And uh, they were serious on the track. Mm. I mean, I, I always expect them to kind of fade and kind of give up on something that is still like a bargain hot hatch. Uh, but they were really strong. Um, I had more fun in this car on the track when I didn't drive it to my limits because I felt like when I started pushing the car, it started pushing back and I didn't mm. like how it felt. Mm. There's a section on the track where you're going uphill, where you're heading to that fun uh, ski jump area where you get a little bit of air. And normally I can just grip and rip up the hill, uh, but I was full throttle and it was torque steering all over the place, which is very disconcerting when you're mm -hmm. going up the hill at over hundred miles per hour and about to go over a jump where you need to be very precise. And I'm getting pulled left and right the entire way up. Um, so, yeah, like I said, um, it, it, to me, it felt better at a casual pace. I had more fun um, on the track with this thing. Um, but, yeah, it's it's kind of a weird car because it's just <laughs> like you got to have some, like, maybe uh, naughty intentions with this thing when you buy mm -hmm. it because otherwise it's just like... I, Why else would you want right. this? I think it's an autocross champ. Yeah, for I sure. I think that's you what can, it's made for. That's yeah. what the original hot hatches were all about. It. I think it, that's what this is. It's, it it's understeers a, a little racer. bit. It torque steers a little bit. Yeah. But it's also kind of fun yeah. in that environment of, like, trying to master a car. And Sounds like a fun go-kart. Exactly. Yeah. Fun go-kart. Yeah, and it's, yeah, and you, can, yeah. you can throw it into a that corner. That you can put a big screen TV in. So. Yeah. <laughs> You're not or too, maybe a semi-big screen TV. Yeah, it's, you know. And actually, uh, my final note is that I had asked uh, Stephen, our um, assistant producer, when we were mm -hmm. at the track, and maybe, Jess, you can chime in, what sounded better? Because we also had the RS3 there. And inside, the RS3 sounded great. Mm -hmm. But Steven seemed to think that the Kona N sounded better from outside the car at the track. I know it's a pretty gnarly soundtrack. I'm trying to remember. But, I mean, I really liked how the Kona N sounded because there's just so many, like, pops. And oh, I, I rolled the windows things. down, man. I thought it yeah. was great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm not usually the type of person that likes loud cars, mm. but uh, it, it yeah, has Yeah, but there's a something really about good a good sound. old exhaust pop. Yeah, that, I agree. That, yeah. This is, like, a good, yeah. like, rowdy loud. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy it. But not it. too loud where you're just, just like, obnoxious. Or, you're just like, yeah, oh, you, dro you, know, you don't want something yeah, droning on. No, I don't think it drones. It's just like, you know, you're driving by, you 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 push down the throttle a bit right. and you know you get a little attention pop, 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 pop. that's the sort of yeah. uh no i think i think it sounded great uh and probably a little bit better than that audi that we had that day let's transition to our lightning round and we're going to actually transition from something that's got very little sound at all in it and it's still a hyundai product hyundai recently announced that they're starting uh, in their all-new uh, 2023 Ionic 6, customers will be able to buy new features over the air after initial purchase. They include updates to the vehicle's powertrain components, which is relatively new, to remotely upgrading performance and capabilities. Do you think this is something car buyers and owners or owners are interested in? I got to tell you, I've got a Hyundai Palisade. I've yet to upgrade the nav system. John. And, you know, it's like I just you take time to get around and do it. So it's a good question, though. Do you think most owners will even have a clue and will they do it? Or is that something that they'll only happen when be when they take it in for service? On a, on a car like the Ionic 6, I would have to imagine the buyer's already tech Pretty savvy and, yeah. and interested in that sort of stuff. Um, I think the idea um, across the industry 
is becoming more prevalent. But for like what you said, John, I think for something like that, nav services, I mean, it would save a lot of trouble for people, right? Like well, you, have, you have to go into the dealer or do you have to get, or no, do they no. send you a, you've got to get SD a card? big thumb drive. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. You got to get a big blank thumb drive to download it and then go get in your car. Mm. Now, if they could basically do it, if I could pull up to my house, hook up to my Wi-Fi, and download it in the car, and I'm not sure maybe I can, but I don't think so, that would be different, and that would be easier. And it, But I can mm. – anything that requires people to do more than a few steps gets left by the wayside yeah. these days. But so. the, the more interesting thing is the whole performance yeah, thing. Yeah, that's much It's like more. you can pay for more – power and I'm assuming you know suppose they get another 10 percent out of the battery and for range that's a big deal a big i wouldn't deal. the thing is i wouldn't want to pay for some of that i don't no. like the idea of it i'm i'm trying to understand what they're saying here now that i understand it i don't like that like i don't. I, I think specific to like say the battery uh and if they somehow well, found a way to to Tesla's been doing that things. all along, where you pay extra for extra features that yeah, they can but, program but into cars. Tesla's. Well, Tesla's I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. Different. I'm saying it's not new, and I think people will not do it. I think I, a lot of people won't do it. Sure. I think because I think the people who own Teslas, are, yeah. ha they are that's, more than happy to different. do that. But I think the average <laughs> consumer would not be like, I, I Why am I paying more? I just bought this thing. Yeah. I think that's a slippery slope. Subscription services and yeah, stuff, yeah. Because you have Tesla who are doing that because they're advancing. Mm -hmm. They're so new that they're advancing. As, as they're advancing, they're saying, okay, you came in at this price. If you want to jump to this price, we have these advancements you can have. Other companies are seeing that model. They, they want the money. money. Yeah. yeah. Say, okay, we can definitely get you to, you know, an extra 50 miles per charge, but we're only going to ship it to you at this rate. If you want to pay for more, we'll get you there. And I think that's, that's the, the part I don't like. That's the I know it's it's backlash the, city. Yeah. Whatever they say, they're like, oh, well, it's because of this or that. I just I have a hard time believing them. I, hard, I have a hard time believing anything other than we want to make more money so off of you. In, in the video game world, we call it pay to play. Pay to play. That's so right. a lot of the video games now are seeing that format and they sell you a game for $60. And then you're playing the game and you can't advance Unless you buy this package yeah. to go yeah. any further, and, and it's the car companies already went that route. Mm -hmm. They in the when navigations first started becoming a big deal. If you wanted to get that navigation upgraded, not only did you have to go to the dealer, but you had to pay the dealer labor rates <clears> and everything <throat> else to get it upgraded. Yep. So most cars are running around without that are older than five or six years without upgraded nav systems. Yep. So I mean. The evidence is there that people will, don't want to pay for it. Yeah. So, and I, subscription services. I'm not sure, but so far, I don't think that's taking off in the car no. business. They're having a hard time getting their footing. I mean, yeah. even, what, 2013, 2015, Dodge shipped all of their vehicles that had touchscreens nav-ready. Mm -hmm. Nav-ready, right. They had nav capabilities, right. but you had to buy an $800 module mm -hmm. to plug into the back mm. in order to get nav. And I bet they didn't sell a whole lot. They of did not. I do wonder, you know, if if a OEM makes something like that you can tweak the powertrain components over the air. I wonder if there would be a way for anybody else aftermarket wise to just plug in and tweak 
tweak it themselves. Isn't that isn't that the sixty four dollar question? Right, yeah. they, they yeah. exist. Yeah, yeah I'm sure they do. Like, they have yeah. to, or or if they don't exist now, they will exist because people are always going to want to find ways to somehow tweak. Their vehicles. Oh, look what's going on with car theft. Everybody thought all these anti-theft yeah. systems were perfect, and they just arrested a big car theft ring that was using that was duplicating key fobs and Look going on to dealer lots to steal vehicles. <laughs> now you can just go on TikTok and right. figure out how to yeah. steal somebody's yeah. Hyundai. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they use the same RF module in the remote keyless entry as most phones use for Apple Pay. Jeez. Mm. Oh, wow. So once someone figured that crossover, yeah. they were able to emulate the key fob rf signal and get into yeah. any vehicle they want. oh my god all right this is I, depressing I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm happy that i have a proper in, key in my car yeah, in like, anybody that's still got a key a, yeah. you're probably okay it's like driving a, a car with a carburetor yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move on to our uh, viewer question we got an email from douglas and and douglas i'm going to start uh, answering this after you um after I read your question, in the review of the GV60, oh, I could just, just looked down at this you just rundown mentioned earlier. Uh, I mentioned plant-based leather in describing the interior seating materials. If so, just what are plant-based leathers? Is this this the new version of pleather? I got to tell you, when we were writing that script, I struggled with this because mm -hmm. to me, that's that's ridiculous because the definition of leather is that it's an animal hide. Mm -hmm. But this is marketing speak, and there is this. If you Google plant-based leather or you know vegan leather, which I think is uh, I've already been told is out of fashion already, there are all sorts of products that they're making durable materials that have the texture of leather from uh, uh, pineapple leaves, mm -hmm. from the roots of mushroom. I'm sure there's a lot of others. So these are artificial material I, I shouldn't say that they're naturally based right. materials mm -hmm. making artificial uh, leather making artificial leather and thank it, you and it can be any like it's not a specific uh like percentage wise that they're calling something plant-based it's like it can be you know 30 percent plant-based or it can be 80 there's no rules yeah there's no rules i mean it it, it just is is saying that there is part of this material that is made up from like something natural yeah i don't know why i guess you know they're dealing with consumers and consumers are saying what do you mean i can't get leather in my vehicle like volvo is a big one mm -hmm. uh, doing this and we've seen these materials and many of them are excellent i mean they yes. they're luxurious looking there's I, it really they isn't wear a problem well. they wear well you're not going to have the finish coming off them it looks like yeah. as easily they're more uh, they're more when you leave a vehicle everybody knows leather seats and heat or enemies you know <laughs> so i don't know do you think this is where we're headed Absolutely, I think. I mean, I mean, I, I think of like putting leather in a car 15, 20 years ago and what that leather looks like today. It's cracked. It looks awful. It's it was so hard to keep nice. And, um, you know, uh, people want more sustainable options as well. And, you know, leather 
from an animal is out of fashion. And I was telling John this earlier, is that uh, manufacturers specifically avoid the word vegan because they cannot promise that every step of the production process was absolutely, had n- had no You You were giving animal. an example, like bee honey or something. Yes, yeah. yeah so yeah. it's just got a little something yes, in it like, like that. Yes, like bees. Like, yeah, if it has so- a little something the in it. The pure vegan they, would say that they that's cannot, vegan. Yeah, they cannot promise yeah. that. And, and um, it's only recently that I've seen that they've kind of like gone away from that. Because I remember mm. I was at a an event uh, relatively recently, mm-hmm. maybe a year ago, and I think originally the PR person said, oh, yeah, this is vegan material, but then they, like, backtracked, and they were like, no, they actually, it's sign. not vegan. We can't say yeah. it's vegan. So, I want to ask Dan a question, though. Leather today in new vehicles is not like leather 20 years ago. No. I can remember Pat Goss saying it's really just more superficial. It's a surface coating almost. Yeah. So leather back in the day was, you know, older cars are not just leather fabric. I mean, it was leather hide. Mm-hmm. I mean, it tanned. Was, it, was it was tanned. Leather th- uh, hide that, you know, leather's organic. It has to be conditioned just like your skin. If you neglect your skin and don't clean your skin, it's going to crack. It's going to get dry. Seats are the same way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, back in the day, it was thick hide. Now it's some kind of composite mm. that's been dyed and treated mm-hmm. to last longer and be softer. And, you know, with that, it doesn't... Supple leather. Yeah, yeah it doesn't last as long because it's twice as thin. How many, anybody that's ever gone and looked at an old, I mean, an old Mercedes for sale, <laughs> you know, that sat out in the sun, you know, the yeah. interior's just, it's like nothing but spider webs on the leather. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the underlining fabric that they glue to it yeah. to give it density yeah. that's left. Yeah. The leather's gone. The leather's <laughs> gone. So I'm curious to, to know what the life of the plant-based is going to be because it's also organic. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to condition it in different ways. And I'm wondering how it will hold up to. I guess it probably also depends upon the percentage of it, right? Like I said, you know, it could be 30% of, of what it is, is, is naturally based or 80%. So, yeah. And I, and we all know the car companies keep looking at ways to make things less expensive when they, they come across something. (laughs) And then the next year it's like, wow, we found out how to take X amount of dollars out of whatever Mm -hmm. it was. Anyway, but so anyway, I, uh, Douglas, I hope that answers your question. It has the look or the feel or the attraction of leather, but it is not an animal. Sounded like the, the, the cotton ad. The touch, the feel. The touch, cotton. there you go. <laughs> All right, before we wrap things up, anybody got a rant or a rave this week? Anything that basically automotive-wise that uh, you want to either complain about or give somebody a, a high five? Da, 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 I'm trying da, to come da. up with something, but. Dan's got to have something for his first podcast. Ta- something that you like. It could be something you love. You don't have to hate it. Something you love or. What should people not say to you when they come into your shop wanting them? To, 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 where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? <laughs> no, I'd say the biggest thing that bothers me when someone comes into our shop is their expectations. Mm-hmm. They they say, oh, well, I saw it on TV. They uh, did it in a weekend. Seen it on TV. <laughs> they did it in the time. Yeah, yeah, the, they did it in an hour on TV. Yeah, they, you know, I have a show they had 50 in a couple people weeks. working on this yeah, car. I have a show in a couple weeks, and I just want to... You know, I want to do the frame. I want to do a motor. I want to do the suspension, <laughs> custom tires. You know, real wheels. simple stuff. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's that's going to be probably around sixty to hundred grand, and it's probably going to be about three years. 
<laughs> and they're like, oh, no, I saw it on Gas Monkey Garage. They do it in a week. I was like, yeah, if you look at the host, they go from sweaters to shorts, back to sweaters, and back to shorts before the guy gets his car back. And they're like, I just don't think that's right. I was like, well, I'll give you a name of a couple shops you can check. And they, they go there, and they're even longer because they're booked out three, four years. Let's flip that over. Yeah. Somebody comes to you with a project. What do you love to hear them say? I love them to say that they love their car, that it's an heirloom, it means a lot to them, and they want it right. Wow. Want it right. Actually, that sounds like a great place to end. Love it. I want to thank Dan Maffitt for being here, Jessica Ray, our digital producer, Greg Carlos, our over-the-edge reporter and all-around uh, hot shoe. I want to thank everybody out there that uh, watches and listens to Motor Week. Basically, if you are a fan of the show, you know you can see us just about everywhere. If you're catching this podcast and you're new, hop on over to our website at motorweek.org, and you can basically catch up on daily news, uh, the latest test. We have almost all of our features and tests are up on uh, youtube.com slash motorweek. We stream the show at various places. You can go over to pbs.org slash motorweek. We can see the latest episodes. Basically, if you've got a phone or a screen on your tablet, whatever, uh, you can be a part of this show and catch us every week and catch Dan and all the new uh, uh, hosts that we have on the Your Drive segment mm -hmm. as well. I want to thank our audio engineer, David Wainwright, our podcast producer, of course, Jessica Ray, and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Did I forget anything, anybody? Uh no, I don't all right. I think you got it. Everybody out there, join us again. Thank you all for being a part of Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil and TireRack.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.